Devin here from Mozilla Companies and welcome to our podcast. If you're new, welcome. We're so happy to have you with us. If you're returning, welcome back. We really do appreciate the continued support. I sit down with John Schreiber, a safety consultant with UltraSafe Incorporated, and Terry Pippick, the director of sales with Mozilla Lifting Technologies. The three of us spend some time talking about the importance of personal fall protection, how often people are using their fall restraint systems incorrectly, and how it's important to look at the manufacturer's specifications and instructions, not just what the service class says. The podcast starts with John explaining a little bit about himself, his company, and what a lot of people just get wrong with personal fall protection. Just to kind of start it off, what's your name, what's your position, what's your title, what's your company, all that good stuff. My name is John Schreiber, and I'm the East Coast Regional Manager for uh, UltraSafe. So what exactly does UltraSafe do? UltraSafe is a manufacturer of uh, soft goods uh, for the fall protection industry, the last remaining domestic uh, manufacturer of fall protection. Why do you say that you're the last remaining one? Well, over time, um, uh, most of our competitors uh, have gone, gone offshore or overseas uh, for production. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see some, uh, we see some, some issues with that, um, which has been evident in some of the major recalls uh, in our industry. Um, I think when you go overseas, you lose control over, over production. Um, and it also gives us the ability to uh, customize, uh, and, and that's prim- primarily on sizing, um, uh, by being domestic mm-hmm. and being able to get it out in a timely manner. So how do you how do you ensure that you do have quality when you're building your fall restraint systems? Well, it's right underneath our roof. Mm-hmm. You know, it's in our house, so uh, we're able to constantly uh, monitor that. And I'll just I'll give you an example. One of our competitors had a recall um, uh, where in their lanyards, in the production uh, of a lanyard, uh, goes down an assembly line, and when the hook is put on, the webbing is laid back over, glued, and passed on to the next girl to sew. Well, in this case, uh, the person sewing just kept passing them, and, and they weren't getting sewed. And uh, you know there was a recall of 30,000 or so on lanyards. Uh, that would bankrupt our company. Mm-hmm. You know, we just can't afford to have that happen, so we want to keep it uh, where we can monitor that kind of stuff. And everything gets inspected by our people. Um, when it's completed. When we talk about the inspection of fall protection, it's it's something that we have some guidelines on, and you can see that uh, information or get that information off our website. Um, but it's a, a process that you want to go down from A to B to C and look for cuts and tears, look for abrasion, look for excessive you know fading. Um, and if you see that type of stuff, that piece of equipment's got to be taken out of out of commission. So with all the slings that you have or the, the restraint systems that you have in all the facilities that they're in, whose job is it to inspect that stuff? Do you have a rep that goes and checks it out? Do they have a safety individual? Whose well, responsibility is that? We, we do get asked to do that. I personally uh, uh, do all of the inspection uh, for, for Boeing uh, out of Philadelphia. They mm-hmm. asked me as an independent uh, uh, contractor, whatever you want to call it, uh, to come in and do that. Um, it's a bit of a gray area. Uh, someone needs to have uh, it done on a annual basis or biannual basis. There isn't any written time frame to that. 
I'm very meticulous when I do it. I'm representing, I'm representing Ultrasafe. I see the minimum damage to something and I, and I take it out of, out of service. John, does it need to be documented? Yes. Okay, so annual yeah. documentation of you'll, you'll hear, you know, when I hear ANSI, or excuse me, when I hear OSHA come onto a job site, they're like a cop pulling you over. They're going to write a ticket. Um, uh, and one of the first things they're going to do is, is look at your fall protection. They're going to look at the tag. If you can't read that tag, just like on a sling in your industry, uh, you got to take it out of service. Um, if they go through a bunch of those steps and don't find anything, <clears throat> they may ask you for your records as to far as how are you inspecting it, who is the competent person, how often you're doing it. If you don't have that, then the flags start to go up and they're going to start to dig in more and more. So what so, makes them competent when you said if someone has inspected that's competent? Well, we can sit down with them and, and basically train them to be a competent person. It's similar I don't know do you have that in in this in the sling world how do you yeah I mean we we have an inspection team led by Tom Horner that his whole thing is trainees and inspectors so they know exactly what to look for and how to do it and stuff like that but do your but do they, do they go out and, and train somebody at, at, at AK Steel to do it we, in-house? we do a lot of training and um, a lot of customers it's really up to the customers to decide what they feel is competent yeah so when we do training, if we said, well, here's your documentation that we've done training, and if you feel that that makes your person competent for inspection, then yeah. you know, th that is up, it's up to you. To me, it's just another level. And what then happens is, in the case of Boeing, I'm acting as that competent person. They take, they take a, a, a group of, of vault protection equipment out of service into a room, and I inspect it. Oh. On a on a semi-annual basis, uh, twice a year, um, and and what some people will do is they'll say, well, we don't want to have you come in and do that. We want our own person, and they may find a foreman or someone that they want to you know pay him a little extra or give him a gift card, whatever, and 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 he chooses to do that. I think well, one of the things that we have to look at is is what are we talking about. When we're talking about fall protection, we're talking about equipment that's designed to save your life, mm -hmm. and I think we have to take that seriously. And that's one of the things that that always strikes me is is uh, uh, I'm just amazed by is that people will uh, uh, treat their fall protection, uh, you know, improperly, and then put it on and expect it to do its job. So then beyond after you sell to somebody, you know, they know they need fall protection, you hook them up with it. What kind of training goes in after the fact? You know, how you put these on, how you maintain them, how they're used, what happens if somebody actually has to fall and get rescued? Like where where does it stop from the sale of the system to them knowing how to use that system? Well, one of the things we've tried to do, and this has been a, a, a little bit of a pet peeve of, of ours, has been, uh, you know, getting our message across. and. You know, if we look at what OSHA does, uh, they have a, a national stand-down period. Uh, four or five years ago, it was a day. It then turned into a week, and two years ago, it was two weeks. And un unfortunately, for some unknown reason, last year it was it went back to a week. I don't know what that what the purpose of that was, but 
what it is is to, is to bring awareness to fall protection. And what can we do as a manufacturer? Well, inside every uh, uh, harness and lanyard come instructions. Um, and we, uh, we offer to come out to job sites with our uh, drop test trailer and do uh, fall protection seminars mm -hmm. and go over those things. And one of the things is, as guys is we have a tendency to be a little bit uh, apprehensive as, as to where I was asking questions. And I understand that. And, and over the years, I've, I've learned what some of those questions are. And I address them to the group. And I always offer the group, if there's ever a question you are uncomfortable with or think is stupid or whatnot, I'm, I'm here. And, and I'll be here for a little while. And, and guys come up afterwards and, and, and we'll ask those things. Cool. Um, but that's just something that we've, we can offer, we can't force. So I want to kind of focus on the people that are on the floor actually using these devices for a second. Um, why is fall restraint, fall protection important to the person on the floor who's actually using the system? Why does it matter to them? Because it's because it's going to save their life. You know, uh, falls and and are the number one cause of fatalities in this country. So I've been to a bunch of different sites of all kinds of different applications, and I see a lot of people who just, either they think, well, this system's gonna slow me down. If I'm tied off, I don't have the ability to grab something else if I do fall. Or, you know, I just, I, the way that I need to maneuver to get this thing in the air, a fall protection system is gonna hinder my ability to do it, so it's gonna be more of an issue, so I'm safer without it. What do you do in those situations where somebody is adamant about the fact that they are safer without the system, you know, either because there's a guardrail or because the way that they have to maneuver, they just feel better without one? Well, it, you know, this is where uh, we have to establish some baseline rules as a contractor or a manufacturer and say, look, if you want to work here, when you're six feet off the ground or four feet off the ground, you've got to use fall protection. And... You know, I, 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 see, I see in the construction industry, uh, one of the policies is, is uh, if you're caught without your fall protection, you go home first time. Second time, you go home for good. Hmm. And there's just no, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the word I want to, there's just no leeway, you know, when it, when it comes to that. Uh, they're, they're, they're pretty adamant about it because of the result, which is grows every year, the cases of fatalities and injuries due to fall is growing and growing as as industry and and the population grows. So then, if there's a policy that you know, if strike one, you go home; strike two, you never come back. If that's in place, then how come it's growing? And there is this much larger issue each and every year with people not using it and fatalities resulting in it. It's a question that I ask myself every year uh, from time to time, especially around uh, National Standout Week mm -hmm. for fall protection. I, 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 I pose that question to uh, the OSHA people that I work with in, the area, in certain areas, and the only thing that comes out of that is education. Mm -hmm. We just have to continue to try to strive and push you know, to educate people. I do see uh, one instance in, in, in certain areas where it's a language barrier issue. We've got a lot of workers from Latin America, you know, coming up and, and working, and they work their butts off. But do they completely understand everything? Uh, uh, the answer is no.
So, so where do you think that responsibility falls? Does it fall on like UltraSafe or whatever manufacturer is providing that fall restraint, mm -hmm. or does it fall on you know the foreman of that facility, the company who commissioned it? Like where, what's the onus on that? Well, I, I feel like the onus is on well, the, the onus specifically is on on the man on, on the employer. Mm -hmm. um, we uh, uh, have all of our information uh, available in, in in Spanish also. Uh, cool. So if someone wants that. All they have to do is ask, um, but that's not uh, that's not our responsibility. We're a manufacturer of fall protection. Um, that falls on the uh, that falls on the employer and, and the employee. Correct. I mean, when it boils down to it, that person needs to make sure that they're safe. As long as that equipment's being supplied for them, ultimately they're the ones that need to put that harness on that retractable. You know, when they're working, and and put it on and, and put it on properly, and, and 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 inspect it. That's a that's one of the areas where you know the inspection of fall protection. Uh, if you look at the interpretation or interpret it the way we do, um, fall protection has to be inspected every time you put it on. Mm -hmm. If you take it off at lunchtime, you need to look at it. I saw an incident where. Uh, Someone had knocked a lid over on a toolbox, and somebody had laid their harness over that toolbox and had cut it. And they didn't look at it and see it, inspect it. And there was an injury from that, you know, a fall. I don't remember whether it was a fatality or not. Mm -hmm. But uh, it, again, it's it's the only, and I and I tell the guys in the groups, I said, this is your responsibility. It's not your foreman's. It's not the owner of the company's, and it's not mine. When you put that thing on. When you put that harness on, when you put that lanyard on, you use that retractable, you have to inspect it every single time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think our safety director, uh, Kevin Paul here, says all the time, like, ultimately the responsibility is yours. It, you're going out there, you're putting the sling on, and if you don't care about your safety, I mean, yeah, the, the company's job is to step in and kind of like put in these policies, but you're the one doing the work and you gotta monitor that for yourself. It's the employer's responsibility mm -hmm. to provide it mm -hmm. um, and, 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 supply, and provide any information as far as education or instruction on how to use it and wear it, uh, but ultimately it's the, uh, it's the worker's responsibility to inspect it. Right, a couple more things, going into companies a little bit, what kind of pushback do you get from companies that need fall protection or fall restraint systems put into place but like, what kind of pushback do you get from that when you're trying to have those conversations and bridge that gap? Well, I don't necessarily get get what I think of as as pushback. Uh, what I what I do get is um, uh, individuals or companies wanting to know that they're going to get a system or or, or equipment uh, or product that that their workers uh, will use. Um, so many times, I think in the past they may have bought product that maybe it was uncomfortable, maybe it was the wrong size, this, that, or that thing, and, and the individuals chose not to, to, to use it. We look at it as a, as a manufacturer of fall protection, um, specifically harnesses. The one thing that we can do is make them more comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think our competitors, and it's evident in their products, feel the same way. The more comfortable we make a harness, uh, the better chances we have of the end user, the worker, wearing it. Mm -hmm. And and not only wearing it, but wearing it correctly. I always say to guys out in the field, I say, listen, you're a sack of potatoes going along for a ride. You can go for a good ride or you can go for a bad ride. It's your choice. And that was actually gonna be my next question. Like what common mistakes do you see with people that have these systems but aren't using them properly? Well, I, again, when it comes specifically to the basics and harnesses, 
It's wearing them improperly. For the most part, what I mean by that is wearing them too loosely. Mm -hmm. you leg straps, you know, hanging down around their knees. Like I just said, your sack of potatoes going along for a ride. You know, I've got a clipboard of an individual up in Boston that fell with both his leg straps loose. He ejected both his testicles out. Oh. Uh, it's, it's graphic, uh, but I show that when I do demonstrations and, and uh, humorously, uh, you know, I look around the room when I'm doing that and I see guys doing one thing and that's tightening up their leg straps, yeah. you know. Um, but that's, that's probably the most common thing I see and there's a reason for it. Most guys will look at a harness and, and, and I'll ask them, how do you adjust that? And they point to the leg straps or they, or they adjust or unadjust their leg straps. They don't realize there's also torso adjustments. Mm -hmm. When you look at a harness, and, and basically a harness is, is, from us, is the same as our competitors. It's, it's webbing of some sort. It goes over your shoulders and around your legs. Uh, and it all comes together at what we refer to as the pivot point. Some companies have put elaborate hinges and whatnot there. But my point is, is if your hinge point isn't where the, hinge, the, the, the pivot point of your harness isn't where your pivot point of your body is, mm -hmm. you're going to fight that. So if you loosen up your torso adjustment or bring it up to, so that your pivot point is, is at your pivot point, which is your hips, you're going to be a lot more comfortable in that harness. And you'd be amazed at how many guys I talk to specifically in the construction industry that have been wearing a harness since 1980 and, and, and say, come up to me afterwards and say, I never knew that. Hmm. And I said, well, now you do, you know, and, 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 and I'm glad, I'm, I appreciate you telling me that. So is the comfort less about, you know, like padding and material and more about just properly putting the thing on and tightening it down correctly? Our, to some extent. Our philosophy is, is to use webbing that is, is, is maybe soft. Uh, we also use a, a, a material uh, in our pillow flex harness, which is a, a tubular material um, that has a tendency not to uh, chafe and wear and tear on your shoulders. Um, we do see some applications in people that might be doing positioning work or sitting back on their harness where it, it, it makes sense to do padding on the leg straps. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, with excessive padding, comes the issue of, of, uh, uh, of heat, uh, uh, especially in summer months, and uh, uh, perspiration. Uh, you get sweat into that closed cell foam uh, material, which is the same basic materials we see in, in uh, uh, sporting goods equipment. Um, it gets pretty ranky, mm -hmm. and uh, you end up, you know, it ends up not being able to come out. So uh, people have a tendency to cut those things off or take them off or, or whatever. So that you said it was like a, a pillow system or pillow flex or what did you say? What? We used to, we, we have a we have a harness that's unique to us which is a uh, what we refer to as a pillow flex harness. It's a tubular material, very similar to a round sling. Okay, cool. So it's somewhat edgeless. And where we uh, what we do with that is we, we thread it with a red elastic so we have a little bit of a, a bungee effect mm -hmm. uh, to the harness. So what that does is if you put a harness on, listen, harnesses are made out of webbing, which is basically seatbelt material. Right. It's designed not to give. You put a harness on a, on, a, on a taller individual and put it on correctly and ask him to bend over and pick up a, a hammer or a penny, he's not going to be able to do it. It's going to restrain him. It's going to do its job. Mm -hmm. One of the first things they do when they when they ha when you have a situation like that is is they have a tendency the worker has a tendency to loosen his leg straps, and now we've just you know created another issue. 
So what we've done is we've created this upper portion of the of the harness in in this tubular material uh, to add comfort, and we've been very successful with it. Cool. Can uh, bend easier, John? Yes. Yes. And that's the, hence the the elasticity in the in the material. Um, how how do you guys take part in the rescue plan process, or do you? Because I know I was talking to our safety director, and his his whole thing was, you know, yeah, the that short stop is just part of it. Getting the guy down is the other part of it, and a lot of stuff that he sees is people don't have a rescue plan in place to get that person down in a timely manner. Because if they're was it fifteen minutes, if they're dangling there, their their organs start to shut down. Well, we don't know. Okay. We don't know what that number is. Okay. Uh, it was rumored that there was uh, going to be a, a, a 15 minute rule that came out. And uh, one of the stories I heard was that there was a fatality after 12 and a half minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, these stories come out as folk, you know, who, who knows, who knows for, you know, where, where and why and, and whatnot. But uh, uh, it, it, you're right in that there needs to be a plan in effect. Get to, to, to get someone down or rescue someone. We and our competitors all offer, uh, you know, rescue kits. And uh, what I, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's something that uh, should be on site. And I always recommend that you get a couple of individuals, two, three, four, and give them some sort of uh, incentive uh, to be uh, a rescue team and uh, take this kid out and practice. Uh, I remember the first time I uh, demonstrated it. Uh, I gassed out using it, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, I thought I was in good shape. And it was a hot summer day in, in Georgia and, and, and I couldn't complete the function of the kit. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I, 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 I recommend that people get their hands on it fool around with it, play with it, and use it. And, and uh, because when that instance happens, you want to be able to do it in as quick a response time as possible. It's just like putting harnesses on the roof and we don't know how long it takes for UV to hit it. So with fall protection overall, what's the one thing that you wish people knew or accepted about that that maybe they don't or aren't sure about? Well, one of the things that, that I see a lot is is people you know, not taking care of their equipment. Um, it's, it's a relatively uh, inexpensive uh, piece of equipment that uh, if you take care of it, uh, treat it properly, wear it properly, it's gonna save your life. I've, I've you know, I, 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 could, I could tell you stories all day long about fatalities and, and, and why. And, you know, very simply, you know, the individual that I show on the clipboard, uh, if someone had shown him how to wear his harness correctly, uh, he'd still have his testicles today. Um, but uh, you know, it's just such a simple thing, and it's and it's uh, it's it's frustrating when we see that fatality number, uh, uh, you know, every year go up uh, for something you know as simple as is as, as, as fall protection. And then the only thing that we can conclude is education. We just have to continue to strive to get the word out and, and take the opportunity when it's offered to talk to people. John, okay. you know, lots of times if you're, yes, a, you're a steel erector, <laughs> you're a steel erector or you're getting up on top of a piece of equipment, change out a motor, you get up on top of this equipment or a die, they go to hook up and there's no place for them to hook up above their D-ring or above their belt ring. Right. So 
what are the, some of those issues that you see and how do they rectify that? Because it's become a major issue. Well, if there's no anchorage point at all, then we wouldn't suggest anybody going up until that gets engineered in. <clears throat> but one of the issues I think maybe you might be pointing towards is uh, where are we tying off and, and what are we using? And if we're, if we're specifically talking about retractables, um, it's the classification of retractables, whether it's a class A or a class B or a class BLE, and, and how it can be used. And unfortunately, one of the things that we're seeing is individuals using uh, retractables, specifically in leading edge fall situations, uh, that aren't designed or approved for that. And, and, and unfortunately, we've, we've, we've seen a number of fatalities for that. So to me, that's part of the education process of, of, of going out to customers, finding out what their needs are, where their exposure is, and make sure that they understand what the equipment is designed to do and, and make sure that the equipment that they use and purchase uh, fits their application. I know that's a big thing for estimators and engineers as well is the first question is what is your application followed up by what is your working environment just to kind of tick off all those boxes and then finally get to okay for all these things that you said you really need something quite like this. What I used to do when I saw things like that especially when I started to come out here we we have a lot of factories and manufacturing facilities where on the east coast a lot of our business is construction. Uh, out here we'd have maintenance crews and electricians and things like that. You know, some guy saying, listen, uh, I just, I, all I have to do is go up here and change this light bulb or switch and it takes me 10 minutes. And, and when I go to get my fall protection out of my locker, it's a tangled mess and takes me half an hour to, to get it on, so I just don't do it. Mm. Well, again, that comes back to us as a manufacturer. What can we do? How can we design a harness? that doesn't get all tangled up and whatnot. And, and we do offer those things, so, uh, or, or have addressed those things. So uh, hopefully now we can go back to the individual and say, okay, n now what's your excuse? Nice. You know, or we've taken that excuse away, so please put your fall protection on. Yeah. Hey, John, we talked a little bit earlier, but you know, explaining the braking system of a leading edge retractable and how really your company is one of the only companies that I know of that uses this particular brake that you're able to use over a leading edge. Yes, our retractables come from, from, from a company in Germany and, and in, 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 in Europe specifically they have what we refer to as the EN standards. Uh, basically like our, I guess and some people would refer them to the equivalent of our ANSI standards. They're very stringent mm -hmm. and very strict. And I've talked to uh, construction companies that are global, and, and they say, wow, when we go over there, it's a totally different ballgame. Mm -hmm. um, fortunately for us, uh, the retractables that we sell have to comply with the EN standards. Uh, so we piggyback on that, and, and what it's done is it's given us a retractable that complies with the most stringent applications that are out there today and, and that being leading edge falls mm -hmm. uh, and it's got a unique braking mechanism in it that is unparalleled and in, in our case it doesn't make any difference whether it's web or whether it's cable um, it's designed and approved to, to to function in that manner and you know on our website we've got a kind of a uh, uh, 
well, we've got a video on there that uh, will show you uh, us dropping a, a, a web, a web re a retractable over a flame cut steel edge, and it's it's quite remarkable mm -hmm. how it uh, how it uh, how it operates. So, I mean, I just don't know what exactly does the braking system do. It just slows it down, or protects well, what it happens? Or? Is what, what you what you what you want in a fall is uh, you need to decelerate the energy. Uh, that's that's created. Mm -hmm. If we just hooked you up in a harness in, 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 a, in a six foot piece of rope, uh, when you hit when that when you hit the end of that rope, you're gonna ring up you know a pretty significant number. Yeah. And in a six foot fall, dropping 220 pounds, uh, we see numbers anywhere depending on the, the temperature and climate, humidity and whatnot. We see anywhere from uh, 3,600 pounds to, to 4,000 pounds. Uh, that's enough force to kill you. Hmm. Uh, uh, so what we have to do with that is we have to decelerate that or absorb that. And that's what historically or, or in, the, in the beginning, what we added was a shock absorber and, uh, to a lanyard. And it, today it's a, it's a tear away webbing system. Um, in a retractable, we've got to stop that spool in some way, shape, or form. And in our case, it's, a, it's what we refer to as a braking mechanism. Mm -hmm. It's very similar to the drag system on a fishing reel. Okay. Um, it's set at a certain tension and it, and it deploys. Um, once it engages, it employs. It works very similar or identical to the seatbelt mechanism in your car. What makes it different is this braking mechanism. In your car, when you get in an accident, your seatbelt locks. Right. It doesn't then also deploy. That's what a retractable does. So then it, it'll stop you and then give you a little bit of a buffer. Yeah. So if we could show it to you in slow motion, you'd see where it engages and then it pulls out. So that pulling out is the same action as a as a rip stop uh, in a in a in a, sh in a shock pack in a, in a conventional lanyard. Right. So because I'm just thinking, I I went skydiving before and the system that they put you into is very very tight, very specific, and then once you you pull that parachute cord, you just jerk up and then just kind of bounce up several feet. So the brake is just to help bridge that a little bit so it's not as jarring, it's not as brutal, and you know, to save like back injury or like what's just so overall just comfort? to give you an example, <clears throat> if we took that 220 pounds and put it on our, our drop test trailer and dropped it with a conventional lanyard mm -hmm. uh, without a shock pack, we're going to get anywhere from 3,500 to, to 6,000 to 3 to 4,000 pounds with a shock absorbing lanyard. We're going to get somewhere around thousand pounds. With a retractable, we'll get somewhere around three hundred pounds. Nice. What what a retractable does differently than the lanyard is it just doesn't allow us to fall completely the length of our equipment. Mm -hmm. With a lanyard six feet long, depending on where you're hooked up, you're going to fall. You could potentially fall six feet before it activates that shock pack. With a retractable, it's acting just like the seatbelt mechanism in your car. As soon as you start to fall, it engages, so and then pulls out because of the weight of your body. Therefore, the force is lower, which, which is important when you're hooking off at your feet if you have to. Mm -hmm. Right. Because literally, if you're six foot tall, you're going to fall six foot before that thing even engages. With a lanyard, it could be twelve feet. Twelve foot, which would be about twelve foot before then kicks in. Yeah. 
you know, with this braking mechanism, yeah. it, it catches a lot faster and it's, it's good for leading edges. So what it gives me also, it, it, it addresses the leading edge issue, but it also addresses me, as I found when I started working with Mazzello, was that we've got a lot of uh, industrial applications where we may have a maintenance man and he may be 68 feet in the air, but he doesn't have the luxury of, of, of free falling, you know, without hitting something. Right. So uh, he may say, "Listen, I may be sixty feet in the air, but I and I can tie off here. But when I fall, I've only got twelve feet." And I said, "Well, then if you're using a conventional lanyard, you're going to hit that." And he goes, "I know. That's why I asked you to come in." <laughs> so I say, "Here, here's a retractable," and we do the math on it. And, and he goes, "Wow, that addresses this issue." So then, height of the individual comes into play. So it's not like one universal system works for everybody. Does the retractable have to be specific to the person who's wearing the thing? No, a retractable doesn't. A retractable eliminates all of those factors of what he weighs and how tall he is and whatnot because it, it operates uh, instantaneously. Okay. As soon as you start that momentum, oh, okay. uh, you know it, it activates it and, and engages it. Uh, with a lanyard. You know, uh, some manufacturers have a number of what I call a safe fall zone. Mm -hmm. So from wherever you're tying off to whatever you're potentially hitting, whether it's the ground or, or a structure or what have you, some manufacturers will say, you need to have 17 and a half feet. You got a six foot individual, you got a six foot lanyard, you got a couple feet of shock pack, you got some stretch and give and whatnot. I, you know, I've heard people use as, as little as 14 and a half feet, and some people up to 70 and a half feet. With a, with a, there's so many applications out there that people come back to me and say, I don't have either one of those. Mm -hmm. I've got 10. I say, well, then we need, to, we need to look at where you're tying off, and we really need to look at your equipment as far as whether we need to replace your lanyard with a retractable. And that's all for today's podcast. I hope we were able to help provide you with a better understanding of personal fall protection. If you liked what you heard, don't hesitate to share it with your friends and coworkers. Really, anybody who could benefit from hearing or learning more about personal fall protection. You can also head over to mozillacompanies.com where we've got a ton of blog articles written and downloads available for you to grab. If you're into video, you can also catch our content on YouTube by popping over to youtube.com slash mozillacompanies. I encourage you to follow our channel, share this with your friends and coworkers, and really just let us know what you think. For all of us at Mozilla Companies, I'm Devin McCarty. Thank you for listening.